Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Believe in UCLA football podcast. We'll be here with a new episode for you right after this quick note. It's playoff time and the usual suspects are headed to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for your football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the color of the Gatorade, Bet Online is your number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get into all the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Everybody, James Williams here, just following up on all the Chip Kelly stuff from over the weekend. Obviously, his name was being tossed around as part of uh, some different rumors or talks about joining some different coaching staffs, uh, one including Dan Quinn over with the Washington Commanders as the offensive coordinator, and also talk of him being an offensive coordinator for Antonio Pierce and the Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, both of those teams have now since... Um, have more or less kind of come to terms or are in talks of hiring someone other than Chip Kelly at this point. Um, one that comes to mind is Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the offensive coordinator there for the commander. So uh, an interesting couple of days for Chip Kelly in the UCLA football program. Uh, but as of now, it looks like Chip Kelly is going to be staying as the head coach again, at least for now with the UCLA football team. So what does that mean going forward for UCLA? A lot remains to be seen. But if Chip Kelly is staying, obviously there's still some work that's going to need to be done on this coaching staff. As I mentioned, the Las Vegas Raiders, they did not go ahead and bring in Chip Kelly as their offensive coordinator, but they do bring in associate head coach Deshaun Foster, who was the running back coach and, of course, the associate head coach for the Bruins and also an alum. They bring him over to Las Vegas, and now he's going to be joining Britton Brown out there in Vegas. So. Just another um, position that Chip's going to have to fill on this coaching staff, right? They already need a tight ends coach. Um, they're going to need some different analysts because a few of them have since moved on. Recruiting analysts, defensive analysts. Um, you're also going to have to try and bring in now a running back coach, right? Um, the running back position has been pretty solid for UCLA the last couple of years, and Deshaun Foster had been a big part of that. So obviously that was a really big loss. And again, as I mentioned uh, in a previous podcast or an a previous video on my social media feeds. Uh, Deshaun Foster was someone I thought if they really needed someone to go to right away and Chip Kelly was going to the NFL, I thought Deshaun Foster would have been that guy that the Bruins would have leaned on. But obviously Deshaun Foster is the one who's now moving on. I remember we had him on the Believe in UCLA football podcast sometime before the season started in 2023. And he had mentioned that one day he would like to be a head coach. So maybe this is him furthering his career and maybe – uh, working towards that next step of potentially becoming a head coach one day. So uh, best of luck to him, obviously. Now we'll see what Chip Kelly does going forward. Now, while Chip Kelly appears to be back, um, they did get some big news on the recruiting trail uh, yesterday, over the weekend, Sunday. Uh, they went ahead and got a commitment from San Juan Hills linebacker, Weston Port. Now, Weston Port is listed at 6'2", 225 pounds, uh, has been a three-time All-CIF player, if I'm not mistaken. He's a captain for that San Juan Hills team. And there's a pipeline, obviously, going on. It's a pretty strong one there between UCLA and San Juan Hills. You have, um, for Sean Ryan was, was among that group. He's now playing offensive line for the Green Bay Packers. He spent three years, pretty much started as a true freshman, 
for the Bruins. Once he came out of San Juan Hills, you also had Braden Pagan, who did join as well. Um, I believe a year or two ago now, he's a receiver. Um, he might see some playing time here in the next year or so and be a significant part of that offense um, as long as he can kind of uh, stick with it and you know just kind of carry on with what they're offering there at that program in Westwood. So um, Weston Port, whenever he does arrive on campus, he should be ready to go. Um, I would, I don't, I'm, you know, it's way too early to say he's going to start away. It's way too early to say he's going to start right away, but don't want to get ahead of myself, but he does have a senior season ahead of him. Uh, San Juan Hills. I did get a chance to catch him and San Juan Hills. They played out here in Redlands against Citrus Valley in the CIF playoffs. Uh, and I got a good look at them. San Juan Hills did come out victorious in that one. And Weston Fort was a big uh, part of that. Right. So now, I have a feeling I'm going to be at quite a few San Juan Hill San Juan Hills games here over the next uh, couple, you know, at least for the next year or so, right? Uh, spending several weeks covering that team and seeing what uh, Western Port has to offer. But I think the biggest thing for me is you get a guy like Western Port so early on. He's like a top 200 guy in the in in some of these college football ranking or recruiting rankings that are out right now. Um, I would be curious to see uh, how involved he gets with the recruiting, how involved he is with trying to bring in some other guys, right? I don't think you're expecting Weston Port to go out there and uh, start bringing in a bunch of other four-star, five-star guys, right? But I think you have a local guy. He's going to set the pace for what this 2025 class is going to be for Chip Kelly and the Bruins. And hopefully, you know, he can be the guy who's really kind of uh, from that player's perspective, getting the motor running here. So just wanted to come in, give some quick thoughts on that. Um, again, I think for a lot of people who um, talk about the recruiting and Chip Kelly's lack of recruiting, I'm not going to sit here and defend him and say he does all this, you know, all the recruiting he should be doing or d- doesn't do, whatever the case may be. But um, they spent a lot of time with Weston Port, visiting him on campus throughout the year. I think it was they even had him during the season. Uh, Ken Norton Jr. was out there at, at uh, a practice. So Chip Kelly had been out there at some point, and that was months ago. I don't know what, what had been the case recently, right? But I'm sure they had been out there recently too. Like I had said previously um, in the, the other podcast that Chip Kelly and the, and the UCLA staff has been kind of making the rounds, much like a lot of other college football programs have here recently. So um, this is a big get for them, right? I think – for, it shows if they put a lot of time in, they kind of narrow in on some of these guys, especially a local guy where you can go and visit him a little more often than maybe you can with some of the recruits like you had last year in that 20 or in this 2024 uh, signing class where you had guys from Washington and Michigan and whatnot. You have a guy in your backyard, you can go ahead and get him. You already have that established pip- pipeline there. And you have a guy like Ken Norton Jr. who's more or less probably going to be the one coaching Weston Port here in the future. So, um, I think this is big, and I think it, it goes to show again, um, and maybe proves the fans, uh, on at least some of the ones on Twitter, right a little bit that if they put the energy and the effort in in the same way they did with Weston Port, I think they have a chance to be successful at getting some, some of these other guys in the future. Um, and I think Weston Port is the big first step for them, um, for this 2025 class. So, remains to be seen. Obviously, it is still very early in the process. Uh, I'm sure there's other schools that have multiple guys in their 2025 class uh, committed already, but uh, this is the first one for UCLA, but I think it's a big step. And as I mentioned on Twitter, it could be uh, the commitment that sets the pace for what this class could be 
going forward throughout this year. So remains to be seen. We'll see how things turn out. Um, but as I mentioned at the top of the video, it looks like Chip Kelly is going to be staying for now. And in the same weekend was able to get um, a solid recruit commitment in Weston Port. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to take a quick break to remind you guys that the football season is right around the corner. And when you're headed out to the Rose Bowl, what better shirt to wear than a Believe in UCLA football podcast shirt? By doing that, you're going out, you're going to the game, you're supporting your team, and you're supporting your favorite podcast at the same time. Some of the proceeds go back to the podcast and help support the content and the different things that we have planned going forward. So what better way to, again, support your team and your favorite podcast than by picking up the shirts? Now, where can you find these shirts? They're available at the Believe Network store. And we made it very easy for you. Scroll down on this podcast. Check out the description. I got two links there for you for two different shirts. Make sure you check them out. Find the one that's right for you. And hopefully I see you wearing them out at the game. I'd love to see you wear them. And now I'm happy to be joined by today's guest, College Football Hall of Fame historian, Dennis Crawford. Dennis, how are you doing? Uh, we are doing fantastic out here in Atlanta. It's a pleasure mm -hmm. to be on. Los Angeles is a great town. I was just there last year for the CFP, so it's very kind of, nice. Uh, mm -hmm. Nice to be seen again. Yeah, I was, so I was at that game too. I'm, you're talking about TCU and Georgia. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, you had a good time. I I wish the game was a little bit better myself personally, but I mean, you love a good underdog story of getting a team like TCU in there anyway. So it was fun for what it was. Again, thank you for being here. I know there's a lot of exciting stuff happening at the College Football Hall of Fame right now. I've actually went out there a couple years ago in Atlanta for an APSE convention in Atlanta. I guess that was like 2018 or 19. No, it was like 2018, well before the pandemic. But <laughs> a lot has changed since then. But anyways, um, just tell me a little bit about the College Football Hall of Fame. What do you guys have going on? And obviously... Uh, the Big Ten is, is a big thing out here in, in, in the UCLA fan base now. Um, what do you have going on in terms of the Big Ten? Well, we're very pleased to announce that last week we opened up our latest special exhibition. It's called Big Ten Coast to Coast. Mm -hmm. And just like the name implies, it's a celebration of the history of America's oldest athletic conference, but also a look forward now that UCLA and USC, Washington, Oregon have been added to the mix. Uh, although Stanford and California have quickly made the ACC a coast-to-coast -coast conference, the Big yeah. Ten was the first one. And uh, so we're, we are very excited uh, to celebrate that fact in this exhibition. And, and you know, I've been to some museums before, and I hear the word exhibition, and, and I know that it, it usually means there's a nice spread of things that are going on. What do you guys have going on in terms of, of what you have to offer with this Big Ten exhibit? Well, what we've done is we've really emphasized the fact that it's a coast-to-coast -coast conference now. And mm -hmm. so working very closely with Robin Gentes of the Big Ten Conference, uh, she helped us to acquire a modern uniform for all 18 teams. So when you come in, one of the first things you're going to see is 18 lockers against the wall, completely filled, helmet to shoes, with the most modern uniforms of all the schools, including UCLA. As a matter of fact, one of the things we're very excited about is many of our fans, this is going to be the first time they ever see a USC and a UCLA uniform with the Big Ten logo on it rather than Ooh. the Pac-12 logo on it. So we're very excited by that. Um, additionally, we celebrate the culture 
on all 18 campuses, we tried to find something very unique about a game day experience. With UCLA, it's that beautiful San Gabriel sunset that you all get to have every time there's a Saturday night game. Yes. Um, As a Penn State graduate, my favorite is I made sure to teach people about the Berkey Creamery uh, because Penn State has its own ice cream manufacturer on campus. Um, So anywhere in between that, we're going to teach everybody a little bit about culture. You're going to get to learn all the lyrics to all of the fight songs. You're going to see all of the rivalry trophies from Floyd of Rosedale to the Little Brown Jug and just learn history, uh, the history of the Big Ten Championship, the history of the relationship between the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl. Learn all about the national championships that Big Ten teams have won, including UCLA's own uh, back in the 1950s. And also learn a lot about the University of Chicago, which was the very, which, well, it wasn't the first Big Ten school, but it was one of the first Big Ten schools. And so a lot of people are shocked when they walk in and the first thing they see is a, is a is a case dedicated to the University of Chicago. Interesting. Um, you you mentioned the sunset there, and sometimes you know sometimes I feel like I'm in my own little bubble sometimes. And uh, one of the things I didn't realize, I you know I started covering UCLA I think in like two thousand the 2019 season, and so I was just going to the Rose Bowl you know every other week whenever they have a home game, and you know I don't really think anything of it. I didn't really cover a whole lot of college football prior to that, at least at the Division One level. So. All I knew was the Rose Bowl and everyone would would constantly tell me, like, you're so you're so lucky to be at the Rose Bowl every, you know, every other week. And there's so much history there. And I'm just like, I don't know, I guess, like because I didn't have a perspective of like how historic it was or how awesome it was to be there um, every every week. And then I was at this past Rose Bowl game and maybe we could talk a little bit about the Rose Bowl game and maybe some of the stuff that the College Football Hall of Fame has to offer in terms of the Rose Bowl game. But um, yeah, a lot of the, the big name um, college football reporters that you see on TV, ESPN and whatnot, a lot of them are running up to the glass window of the press box to get that sunset, to get mm-hmm. that view of the mountains. And I'm like, oh, like this is really a thing. Like this is something people always talk about and are excited about. And I was like, oh, maybe I have to appreciate it a little bit more when I'm just, you know, there during week two of the college football season. But I'm just like, <laughs> I just well, kind of take it for granted. So. I'm glad you pointed well, the way that out. We, uh, the way we were introduced here at the beginning when you know, we were talking about Los Angeles, that was one mm-hmm. of my greatest moments. I didn't get to see a game mm-hmm. at the Coliseum or see a game at the Rose Bowl, right. but just seeing those venues. Uh, yeah. They are two of the most iconic venues in all of sports, not just college football, but now they join a conference with other iconic venues like Michigan mm-hmm. Stadium, Ohio Stadium, Camp Randall Stadium. So that's the other thing that hopefully people are excited about is that all of these road trips these teams are going to take as part of just their regular conference play is going to bring them to some of the most historic venues that America has to offer. Um, And obviously uh, you had a Big Ten team in Michigan who just won the national championship. Does the College Football Hall of Fame, do they have anything from Michigan um, just from this current run or this current season already, or does it kind of take some time to get, get something it, like that in? It always takes a little bit of time. Uh, one of the first things we do is we send them the MacArthur Trophy. Um, okay. The National Football Foundation actually issues the, the real hot, you know, the, uh, they've been doing this since 1959. They mm-hmm. issue the National Championship Trophy. The one that we see on TV, the football, is from the college football playoff. But the mm-hmm. National Football Foundation trophy that's going on now 70 years or so 
is a full-scale uh, uh, 1930s era design stadium where every team is uh, engraved on the outside. And so we sent that up to the University of Michigan so their fans could enjoy it. It's 400 ounces of sterling silver. It's a beautiful trophy. So we'll get that back from them. Hopefully they'll throw a couple of trinkets yeah. in there as well. So that part takes a little bit of time. But one of the nice things we have in the display was Michigan was very gracious, and they sent us a game ball from their victory over Maryland, which was the 1,000th victory mm, in program right. history. So they're the first team to ever win 1,000 football games. We have a game ball from that, and awesome. we were very excited to receive that. Awesome, yeah, and that was a pretty significant milestone. I remember when that happened during the season. Um, just jumping back to UCLA real quick. Um, obviously, I see you have the UCLA helmet there behind you. Um, I remember one of the first things I did when I walk in, and I don't know how you can miss it, is the big wall of helmets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm sure many people, when they first go and visit, they're just in awe, and you spend all this time looking at all the different helmets. Um, you know, what else does the the College Football Hall of Fame have to offer in terms of UCLA memorabilia, moments, displays? I know you guys have a lot of unique stuff there. So anything else for UCLA specific that you can kind of point to? Well, we have, uh, well, there's 772 schools uh, right now that are playing college football, and we tra- mm-hmm. we have a helmet for each one. So we always like to say that this is everybody's college football Hall of Fame. Uh, mm-hmm. If you went to a school and they play football, you're going to find something. Even if it's just photos being digitally put on the wall for you, right. you're going to get something uh, for, for your school. Uh, as for UCLA, in addition to that, there's a section on rivalries where people can get a lot of detail on the history of the USC-UCLA rivalry. There's a lot of video highlights of the team. We have a collection of artwork from Arnold Freeberg, who back in 1969 painted the century of football uh, when college football celebrated its centennial. And one of his paintings is of the epic uh, 1967 USC-UCLA game. Now, it does show O.J. Simpson about to score a touchdown against UCLA, (laughs) but it's a beautiful painting um, Mm. about uh, eight feet wide um, and eight feet tall. And it shows O.J. and the old Bruins doing battle there at the Coliseum. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Also, up in our rotunda, there's 325 players and coaches who've been affiliated with the Big Ten, and we're now counting UCLA as part of that. So you can go up there and see any information you want to on Hall of Famers. Um, I would advise people to learn as much as they can about Kenny Washington, who is one of our favorite Hall of Famers, uh, because Kenny Washington, um, back in the 1930s, played in a backfield with, get this, Jackie Robinson Mm -hmm. and Woody Strode. Yeah, and so that was an iconic backfield, and people can learn more about that and see some video highlights of uh, Kenny Washington as well. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Kenny Washington was actually uh, we we had someone who wrote a book on Kenny Washington on the podcast about a year ago, and I learned quite a bit from that book. And um, so I'm glad you mentioned that name. And um, he is one of I believe 17 Hall of Famers. I'm not sure if that includes Paul Cameron, but I know Paul Cameron is going to be getting inducted here. Uh, in this 2024 class, um, anything about anything about him that uh, comes to mind for you? Well, it's very good. You you obviously did your homework. Cameron will be mm-hmm. the 17th. Uh, <laughs> okay, there are 13 be. player, 13 players, and three coaches mm-hmm. uh, with Bruin backgrounds in the Hall of Fame right now. Um, 
Paul Cameron was a, a two-way star uh, back in the 1950s, and it's it's very good that he's being recognized. It's it's unfortunate that he he yeah. recently passed away, so that he and his family couldn't celebrate this mm-hmm. together. Uh, but that's one of the things about the Hall of Fame is when you consider the fact the millions and millions of young men who have played this sport in 155 years mm-hmm. and only 1,300 individuals, roughly 1,300 individuals have been enshrined, which is less than uh, a percentage of a percentage yeah. <laughs> have been enshrined. It does take a while uh, for people to get in sometimes. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, it took almost 70 years after his playing career for Cameron to get in. But now he's in forever. He will forever be a Hall of Famer. Very nice. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the Rose Bowl game, I've gone to the last three or four that have been played in Pasadena. I know there was the one in, what, Texas, I think, a couple years ago uh, because of the <laughs> pandemic, but um, which still kind of blows my mind. But anyways, um, anything about the Rose Bowl game? Obviously, you know, UCLA fans are familiar with the Rose Bowl, the Big Ten, um, you know, had a big part of what was the history of the Rose Bowl game, especially in recent years, obviously. But um, any game balls, any trophies, any significant jerseys or moments that the College Football Hall of Fame has uh, regarding that game and its history? Yes, we do have a uh, part of the exhibition is dedicated specifically to the Rose Bowl. Uh, okay. We have a Chuck Long, Iowa jersey from the 80s, Lincoln Kennedy's Washington jersey, Drew Brees, mm. uh, Purdue helmet. Um we also have some video clips from the very first Rose Bowl in which the Big Ten became an annual member uh, back in the late 1940s. Uh, we sadly don't have any film clips of the 1902 Rose Bowl, uh, which was the very first one in which Michigan defeated Stanford, uh, 49-0. And one of the stories I love about that was the game was such a rout that the organizers just decided to do away with football. Uh, and for 15 years, the Rose Parade didn't involve a football game at the end. Instead, they did chariot races and ostrich races. Interesting. So it, wasn't until, it wasn't until 1916 that they brought football back again. Wow. So that's huh. how dominant uh, that first Michigan uh, victory was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some fun questions for you. And, and actually one, as we were mentioning, talking about the helmets earlier, and I remember looking for it there, but I can't remember if I saw it there or not. Uh, maybe you can help me out with this. Uh, I graduated from Long Beach State um, and in, in the bookstore when I was there a couple years ago, um, they started having shirts that they were making saying undefeated since 1991 and all this jazz. Um, is there any sort of Long Beach State stuff in there? Because I don't remember it. And I don't remember. Was there a helmet on the wall or is that only for active teams? Only for active teams. Only so active teams. Uh, okay. sadly, um, after George Allen uh, attempted to yeah. revive the program and he tragically uh, yeah, passed away while coaching at Long right. Beach State, um, they suspended the program. So the, the helmet came down. Um You'll have to forgive me. Um, mm-hmm. I am a good researcher, uh, but that doesn't mean I have the entire 155 <laughs> years of football committed to memory. I cannot think off the top of my head of a Long Beach State in mm-hmm. Doesn't mean not there. And maybe you'll right. have listeners comment later that I'm an idiot, yeah. but I, I just can't think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there was any in Shiny, but I thought I remember seeing something there. Because I think when when you, at least when I went, 
I think there was something where you can punch in what school you went to, or there was, I don't know if it was a key fob or something. There was something that say, Hey, I'm a Long Beach state grad. Yeah. And I think it kind of, did it not cater the uh, experience of the, the, the museum for, well, I I, I I've just been here worked. for a couple of, I've been here okay. for two years, so I don't, I'm not certain what it was like back gotcha. then, but I know that we have this wonderful technology where you do type in that I'm a graduate yeah. of, Right, And if there is a football connection, then everywhere you walk inside of the Hall of Fame, yeah. you're going to see mm-hmm. your school come up first. Right, And then you can look at others. Gotcha. Uh, so all of you out there who are big UCLA fans, you never have to worry that you're going to be bombarded with USC <laughs> things. Every time you turn a corner, you should see your school too. Right. So you'll never feel like you're a pilgrim in an unholy land, uh, to coin an expression. Right. And thank you for thank you. For, that's exactly what I was talking about. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, and just for you. So you've only been there for two years. What are some of the things that that you find fascinating or, you know, was one of the first things you had to go and maybe check out for yourself when you first showed up there? Well, what I enjoy the most is I I was hired more as a storyteller. And okay. so it's the stories that I've been able to collect over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Uh, my very first responsibility when I started was to put together the exhibit for the class of 2022, uh, which had a lot of great players. I had LeVar Arrington as a Penn State grad. I was so excited to put together LeVar Arrington's locker and display and having the chance to talk to them and hear some of their stories. Um, the art exhibit that we put up last year, which included that wonderful Arnold Freeberg painting of the USC UCLA game, among others. Uh, was one of my favorite things to do. Uh, that's that's what I enjoy the most, is having this chance to find stories that maybe some of our guests and fans don't know. Because most of the people who come in, they're either casual fans mm-hmm. or they're diehards. And so the casual fan, even the casual fan, knows about Doug Flutie's miracle pass against Miami. Right. Uh, even, even the casual fan uh, knows about uh, Charles Woodson. Um, but it's trying to find that nice story where we can bring out other players uh, and other Hall of Famers that maybe you aren't that aware of. And so that's what's exciting for me. Um, I'm trying to remember, was Cade McNown, the UCLA quarterback, was he class of 2022 or maybe he was 2020? Uh, he was the most he was the most recent Bruin. He was he class was. of 2020. Okay, he was. Okay, it was 2020. Okay. Everything yeah, was so, a blur after the pandemic. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I remember, I, I remember mm-hmm. Cade McNown a great deal from the nineties. Um, mm-hmm. He, he was a very, very good college player. And actually um, we have a couple of Leroy Neiman uh, sketches yeah. of Cade McNown uh, during mm-hmm. the latter stages of his life that the, the famous artist would go, I mm-hmm. think, and go to UCLA practices and sketch yeah. a lot of the players. So we have some of that, that here at the hall of fame, which we oh. really enjoy. It sounds like I need to go back and check out the Hall of Fame again. It's been, like I said, it's been a while. So I'm sure there's I think you and everybody in Los Angeles needs to hop on some (laughs) flights. Yeah. And come on out here. Um, And and real quick, maybe as we kind of wrap things up here, one, um, how long is that exhibit there? And um, how how often is, you know, is just in general the College Football Hall of Fame open for anyone in LA who may just be stopping by Atlanta for one reason or another? And, um, they have a reason or some free time just to go and check out the College Football Hall of Fame. Well, the Hall of Fame, it, well, this mm-hmm. exhibit, answering them in order, the Big Ten exhibit is going to be open through the summer. We celebrate our 10th anniversary in August, so that's when we're planning the big switch out so that we can celebrate our 10th year here in Atlanta. 
Um, and for those who come out um, during the summer, we'll be open seven days a week. But right now we're open Wednesday through Monday. So we are closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So if you are going to travel all the way out here, mm-hmm. I'd really hate for you to plan to come on a Tuesday after flying all the way from Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. But we have a wonderful website uh, that I'm sure you're going to have a link to mm-hmm. uh, in the story um, yes. that people can go to and and plan their visit accordingly. Awesome. Thank you for that. Final question. Um, and again, you, you said you've been able to maybe talk to some of the Hall of Famers. How often are Hall of Famers kind of coming through those doors and just randomly stopping by for a visit? And um, maybe who are some of the famous faces that you've seen while you've been there? Well, every year, the Hall of Fame has a wonderful golf tournament in May uh, where uh, uh, fans get to actually go out to the club and golf with Hall of Famers. Um, And Hall of Famers will come and have a nice dinner here at the Hall of Fame. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, event. And then, of course, uh, we have some Hall of Famers who live here. Um, One of the Hall of Famers who I've had the chance to get to know well and work with him, actually, is Mo Gardner who was a Hall of Fame defensive lineman uh, for Illinois in the late 80s and early 90s. He played here in Atlanta for the Falcons, and after his playing career ended, he stayed and became a research librarian. And so I always joke with him, it's like, you are a nerd like me. You're just a Hall of Famer, but you're still just a nerd. Um, And he and I have had the chance to work on a wonderful project together uh, between his library here and the Hall of Fame. So that, that's that been one of the great things for me. And speaking of projects, during your time there, what are what is maybe one of the, the projects that you're most proud of during your time there? Well, I think it's the one that's it's actually opening uh, tomorrow. Um, it's on the Wyoming Black 14. This is the one that Mo Gardner and I worked on is mm-hmm. uh, in the late 1960s. Uh, 14 members of the Wyoming football team, 14 black members of the Wyoming football team, had wanted to wear black armbands during a game against BYU uh, to protest what they felt were discriminatory practices uh, by their opponent. And the coach kicked them all off the team. And so um, their football careers were pretty much ended for the most part. But here we are 55 years later, and this group of men and the BYU and Wyoming work together to donate food across the country. And so next week, the Hall of Fame and the Black 14 are presenting a semi-truck full of donated food to the Atlanta Community Food Bank. And that's one of the coolest things I've, I've ever been a part of, um, is working with this philanthropic organization. Um, it's just wonderful proof that okay, we made mistakes, we were at loggerheads one time, but we can still work together now to create a greater good. And I think that's a story I want a lot of people to learn about. Awesome. Well, again, hopefully those who can make it out do go out and they're able to check that out. It looks like I have a little bit more research to do because some of that sounds a little familiar, but I think I'll have to go back and do some research on my own because I'm always trying to learn as much as I can about the game now that now that I am reporting on it. Um, yeah. So again, thank you so much, Dennis. Um, obviously, the college football landscape is changing. So hopefully that doesn't make your job too much harder. But again, we appreciate your time here. Well, I appreciate it. And remember that no matter what changes, it's still the game. Yep. And the game is what we love. Um, conference realignment, playoff realignment, rules changes, they come and go. 
but the game is what stays. And that's the important thing. Awesome. Couldn't have said any better myself. Thank you again, Dennis. Appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you. And a special thank you to Dennis once again for hopping on the podcast. Very much appreciated. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys um, look it up or make sure you consider checking out the College Football Hall of Fame. Like I said during the interview, I went ahead and checked it out myself a couple years back and had a great time. One of the things I remember, and I didn't mention it during the interview, was they used to have a college game day uh, desk that you can sit at and take a photo of. I thought that was pretty neat. Um kind of see them have stuff like that so even even off the field stuff they have stuff like that it's pretty fun it's pretty neat uh i really enjoyed my time there and i think just because there was also like a little you know uh mingling event going on there with uh sports writers and whatnot i probably didn't get to take in and view as much of the hall of fame as i probably would have wanted to now that i kind of can look back at it so definitely would want to go again the next time in in atlanta and i would uh, hope you guys check it out too but some other notes have kind of come along since I've kind of been putting um, this podcast together. Actually, on Monday afternoon, we did have a couple of coaches for UCLA football that did receive new titles. Now, I think it is important uh, for a few reasons, right? So I think, uh, let's well, let's just get into the guys who did receive new titles and we're going with new titles because I don't necessarily know if they're, I guess they're promotions, but, but we don't know if these guys are getting any sort of financial increase, if there was a raise in pay or anything like that. So maybe I guess it's still promotion. I just, we don't know the financials. UCLA is not going to disclose that um, right away following these announcements, but uh, let's get into it. So Jerry Neuheisel is going to continue working with the wide receivers, but he's also going to be taking on the role as the passing game coordinator. Offensive line coach Tim Drevno is going to be the running game coordinator. And then you have Cody Whitfield, who's the cornerbacks coach. He's going to stay in that defensive role, but he's also going to add the title as the special teams coordinator. So my big takeaway from those is one, just looking at the special teams coordinator role. Uh, Akaka Malloy had that position two years ago when he first arrived at UCLA. That was part of his duties in 2022. For whatever reason, there was no one listed as a special teams coordinator in 2023, but that role is now back for 2024, and Whitfield will have that responsibility. Now, another interesting note that I'm taking away from all three of these promotions, I guess we will call them promotions, is I think the reason for it is, one, it kind of signals that Chip Kelly is going to be coming back for the 2024 season. I know, I know some people aren't going to be thrilled about that, but... I think if you're making these moves, I think that's part of the reason. And considering the number of people who have left and looked for other opportunities, I wonder how much of it was maybe increasing the pay of some of these guys and having some sort of stability on the staff by giving these guys maybe a little bump in pay, uh, giving them a new title that they can add on the resume, and it keeps them around at least for this next season. Now, we saw that with Deshaun Foster last year. He was promoted to associate head coach while he still handled those same duties for UCLA as the running back coach. But after one year, he's moved on and he's going to the Las Vegas Raiders here uh, for this next season. So very kind of interesting how that kind of came about. But again, I think it does kind of indicate uh, that Chip Kelly's coming back. There was one quote 
for me that stood out that kind of, again, alluded to the fact that Chip Kelly's back for this upcoming season. He said, Tim, Jerry, and Cody are all versatile coaches who bring different and valuable perspectives to our coaching staff. They will continue to be a tremendous asset for our players and me going forward. So I found that quote interesting. Um, and again, I think it kind of goes into, um, again, just creating a level of stability for a coaching staff this season that has just seen so much reshuffling as it was, right? So a lot going on with this coaching staff, but I think we're at least have a better idea now of who are some of the coaches that will be staying around, right? We've had quite a few leave this program, and now we know who's going to be staying around, and we still have to wait for some of the hiring that Chip Kelly is now going to have to do now that he seems to be officially kind of locked in here for the 2024 season. Maybe not officially, I guess, you know, technically, I guess, we, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. There was the whole him searching for the offensive coordinator job thing, but uh, he looks to be your guy for 2024. Now I just, I'm very specific about 2024 because I don't know what's going to happen after this season. They can mutually part ways, Someone can cave and take the buyout. That remains to be seen. But for right now, Chip Kelly's back for 2024, and he's going to have to find a new running back coach. He's going to have to find a new tight ends coach, and he's probably going to have to pick up some new analysts here for both defensive and for recruiting here in the very near future. So a lot of that stuff kind of figured out, and a lot of stuff still to figure out. But I think that'll kind of do it for me, guys, with this episode. Josh will be back next week. Uh, he did just sign an extension for two more years with the BC Lions, and he's off enjoying his offseason. So we'll catch up with him probably sometime this week or next week. Um, but until then, we have some special guests that are in the works here. No promises, but we continue to work hard on bringing you guys some very special guests here in the coming days. And uh, you may want to stay tuned for that because we're going to try and get some some different folks on here to talk to you guys, much like we did today with Dennis. So, again, special thanks to Dennis. A special thanks to you guys for listening. Please leave a five-star review on your favorite audio platform, whatever platform you're listening on, if it's Apple or Spotify or whatever other platform. Make sure you guys leave us a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. So, yeah, thank you guys again so much. And as always, I'll catch you guys in the next one. Thank you, everybody. This is the Believe in UCLA football podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.